0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land Land Land-Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. We are back with a rousing preview for you this week as Ohio State takes on Tulsa at home at 3.30 p.m. this upcoming Saturday. Uh, We are coming at you live on Tuesday. Uh, following some some interesting stuff. There's some Ohio State news to talk about and some stuff to break down before we get into Tulsa. But uh, Josh, how are you doing on this midweek? How are you feeling? You know, there's a lot of Ohio State discourse going on, good and bad. So what are you, uh, how are you feeling overall?
1: I am intrigued. You know, Um, we're coming off of a tough loss, an embarrassing loss as far as the defense goes. And then following Ryan Day's press conference today, he sort of quasi, but not completely changes that we're going to see. Forward, so I'm intrigued uh, to see how they come out against Tulsa, obviously, and just ready to move past a tough loss. Uh, it was soft; the blow was softened a little bit by the fact that my Cincinnati Bengals won. Shout out to Joe, Joe Burrow. So, football wise, I'm I'm in a good headspace.
0: I'm ready to roll. See, my headspace has only gotten worse because I am unfortunately a Giants fan, and I don't think they win a game this year. So, my it was a tough <laughs> week for my teams overall in pretty much every sport. Um, but yeah, here we are now. We're coming into a stretch where Ohio State's going to play a bunch of really bad teams. And I'm kind of, I'm not exactly looking forward to it because it's kind of tough to watch a stretch here where Ohio State's probably going to win by a bunch, but there's just this nagging fear in the background that there's still these deep-rooted problems that we're going to have to figure out. And even if, you know, even if Ohio State beats Tulsa by like 40, it, we're really not going to learn a whole ton over the next couple of weeks unless we see some very like physical changes to, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But We'll get into all of that in a second. I just want to touch on some some brief Ohio State news. Obviously, we had a new AP poll come out. Ohio State falls to 9 following their loss to Oregon. Oregon moves up to 4. Uh, some other interesting notes in the poll. Iowa is now at number 5 in the country, so they are the highest-rated Big Ten team at this point. Uh, Cincinnati is rated ahead of Ohio State at 8, so Ohio State is now the second-highest-rated team in the state of Ohio. That's another fun little tidbit there, but... I think that's both, All the ratings are, are pretty fair at this point. I think they're all pretty accurate. I think Oregon's getting a lot of respect for the way that they won that game because, you know, we've talked a lot about Ohio State's issues, but you got to give credit to Oregon for the way that they played and, you know, kind of the coaching and the, the play calling and all the stuff in that game. They definitely deserve to win that game. It wasn't like a fluky win over Ohio State. They outplayed them in pretty much every facet. So they deserve the, the ranking they're getting at this point, and we'll see how that plays out moving forward. But. I did want to kind of discuss. I don't want to go too in depth on Ohio State's loss over Oregon because I feel like we've talked about it a lot and it's been talked about pretty much everywhere at this point. But I have it. I have had time since to rewatch it, and I have some some points that I wanted to bring up. I have one point on defense and two on offense that I just wanted to kind of talk through with you, Josh. So we'll start on. Obviously, we'll start on defense since that's the hot button issue as of late. Um, Ryan Day spoke in his press conference today, and uh, it, it was pretty candid. I'm not, I'm not super candid, but like he was. It was the most I've heard him like talk about the defense being an actual issue because we've seen, you know, last year they had COVID to blame with the the pandemic shortened season and we saw how bad Ohio State's defense was. And, you know, every week they kind of just said, oh, we'll get a fix, we'll get a fix, whatever. And they never actually did. But now uh, today on Tuesday, Ryan Day, he, he really seemed like they are more um, committed to actually making physical changes or whatever that may be. Um, you know, when asked on his level of confidence of Kerry Combs today, he said, it's not what we expect here. It's not our expectation. So that's pretty, you know, that's the most, the most he's said in, you know, in an opposition to Kerry Combs at this point. He's not willing to give up on him, but he did say that the defense is going to make adjustments structurally. So I don't know what... That quite means yet, but you know, I'm well. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. We've wanted Ohio State to make changes on defense for the better part of a year and a half now, and it hasn't actually been done. But it sounds like, from what we're hearing, that they're they're getting ready to make those changes. Uh, He didn't commit to Kerry Combs calling the defense this week when asked about it. He said, you know, he doesn't want to get into specifics, but there will be conversations as the week goes on, and no hard decisions have been made. So. I mean, it's a lot to read into there. He wasn't specific about anything. He didn't allude to any changes or whatever, or what exactly the the structural changes he claims are going to make will be, but... Josh, what do you think about, you know, kind of what Ryan Day said today and what, you know, obviously a lot of people are are pointing fingers at Kerry Combs and Al Washington and these guys that have, you know, not been able to put together even remotely a decent defense through two games. So what do you think of the way Ryan Day handled it today? And also of note that he, you know, he was the only person to speak today. Usually you get Ohio's uh, Ryan Day, an assistant and like maybe a player to do, and it was just Ryan Day speaking today, so obviously that was on purpose coming off of what happened. I don't think they wanted the players to have to answer questions about the coaching staff. I don't think they wanted, you know, they obviously didn't want Kerry Combs going out there and getting blasted by the media members today, but what did you think overall about Ryan Day's comments in his press conference today, Josh?
1: Yeah, you know, I thought Ryan Day did a a, a smart thing, and he, he, he didn't fall on the sword by any means, but I think by him taking on the press conference so low, I think that he wanted to clearly take some of the heat off of his guys and off of the defensive coaches but at the same time he was pretty uh, i guess uh, emphatic i guess is the word that he's not happy he's pissed off right he this is not the defense that we expected it's not the defense that we're going to accept moving forward so i think he sort of played both sides you know he didn't want to directly throw his guys under the bus but he alluded to it enough that he's not happy and he's going to be at least vocal about some of the changes that take place or occur. So I thought as a coach, he did the right thing, in my opinion, by not covering up his disappointment, but at the same time, he didn't have his guys out there taking a whole lot of bullets. So I liked seeing that. And you could just tell that he, he's upset with what he's seen through two games and he's not going to accept it anymore. I don't know. He's an offensive guru, right? So I don't know how involved in the game plan he's going to be, but I think that he will be very vocal and very direct in what he'd like to see out there. And I think that the one thing that you've alluded to it a lot is you want your best guys out there. And that's not a novel concept, right? By any means, it seems pretty simple but I think that personnel, I, I think that's where I see Ryan Day getting involved in more. I think he's going to have his recommendations. Hey, these guys need to be on the field and these other guys, maybe not so much. Um, we've talked about some of the underperformers, especially at linebacker. And then we've talked about the fact that, you know, Cody Simon looks great and he, he's not playing a whole lot of snaps. And we want to see T. Mitchell out there. I don't think that they're going to change their 4 but who knows, you know, I really don't know. I think it's going to be more about putting personnel in the right places. So I'm not real sure what we're going to see out there, but he's clearly not content. I think that we will see far less rotation. And I think that's a good thing, but um, yeah, in, in play calling, I don't even know what direction they would go in really, you know, if it's not Kerry Coombs and it's a collaborative effort, I could see that, but Excuse me. Al Washington does not have experience doing it, and Matt Barnes, especially Larry Johnson. Who knows if he wants to? He's very hands-on with that defensive line, and they've got their own improvements that need to be made. So, I don't know. That's a, a big non-answer from me, Gene. Just a lot of curiosity. But what are your thoughts on what he had to say?
0: Yeah, and you you bring up a point that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about going about this defense, and that is the the whole, some of the personnel decisions. Uh, having rewatched it. Um, Also, just going back to the press conference real quick, in terms of personnel, uh, Ryan Day, they asked him about seven banks, and he kind of said that he wasn't very specific on it, but he said that he's not, he said that specifically that he's not too injured to play moving forward. Now, I don't know what that means about the last two games. Obviously, he hasn't played the last two games. He's warmed up, been dressed, but hasn't played at all. I don't know. We still don't know if it's anything off the field. They asked him if it was, and he said no, but... Um, They said they, they're they looking to get him out there this week, so hopefully we see Seven Banks out there. We I, we It's still a weird situation. I don't really know what's going on there. If he was, you know, I don't know if they're just holding him out because they thought he was too hurt. You know, we saw Josh Proctor clearly playing through an injury who is now, you know, out for the season with a, a different leg injury. But we, we saw other guys out there that are clearly playing banged up. So if, if Seven Banks was a little nicked up, it's kind of weird that he didn't play at all, especially, you know, the, since the first game they said he would have been available in an emergency situation. So... I don't know how much more of an emergency you need than losing in the second half to Oregon, but hopefully we'll see him for the first time out there this weekend. I don't know how much of a difference that make because I think the, the corners have overall been pretty decent, but just kind of going back to the personnel stuff. Having rewatched the game, I, I was pretty hard on a lot of guys, specifically two guys that, you know, I'm not going to name by names here, but you all know who I'm talking about and how poorly they played in that game, and Having watched it again, I still think a couple of guys did play really poorly. But it's weird watching it because I think even the good players are playing poorly. And I think what it comes down to is that Ohio State's defensive scheme is more or less the same as it was under under Jeff Halfley. They're still running a one-high safety, except they moved from a base 4-3 to a base 4 5 which just means that instead of three linebackers, they have the bullet, which is basically just a, a smaller, faster player in place of a third linebacker. But the overall scheme is the same. It's still the one-high safety. They're still trying to mix man and zone. So overall, it, it's still the same base defense they're running under Halfley, but I think they're asking their players to do too much. And it's, it's very clear watching it that on so many of these plays— that Ohio State's linebackers specifically, and even some of the defensive ends, are just thinking too much, and they have too many assignments on any given play. And it looks like instead of 11 guys playing as a cohesive unit, it's 11 guys thinking about their own individual assignments and not worrying about anyone else around them. And it's impossible to play defense like that when you're not considering anybody else on the field. And they're also not reading and reacting to plays when they're just too busy thinking about their assignments. If you watched Oregon's linebackers, they're just flying to the ball. They're clearly not. They clearly don't have a, a ton of assignments on their chest. They're just being asked to see ball, get ball, and react and, and play fast. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of people talk about how Ohio State's linebackers look slow. And I don't think it's an athleticism issue. I think it's just that they're, they're so stuck thinking about all of the things that they have to do on any given play that by the time they react, it's just they're too far behind the play to make anything happen. And I think the best example, uh, uh, Patrick Mayhorn, former you know, Land Grant Holy Land alum, posted a video of one of the Oregon runs and CJ Verdell, he breaks through the first line of defense and he's, he's, he's about to like Taraja Mitchell is standing in a place where he could very easily like make a play and have, could have held him to two or three yards. But instead of reacting to the play right away, he's just kind of standing there, like waiting for something to happen. And by the time he reacts to the play, it's like a 10-yard gain. And so, like, it's just just that they're thinking way too much. And if you have to think on defense, as weird as it may sound, you're kind of dead. You need to just be able to read and react on defense. And I think that these guys, you know, they're asking the linebackers – like okay, I'm in man coverage against a tight end, but I've also got to you know make sure that if they're running it, I, I key in on the linebacker, uh, the the running back, and then if Anthony Brown decides to keep him run, I got to set the edge. And there's just like four or five assignments that they have to run through, and by the time that they get to the one that they're supposed to do, the play is over. It's too late, and like you just can't you can't play defense when you're thinking like that on every single play. And so I think a lot of it, the, the coaches just have to make it simpler for these players. I think the scheme is okay. You just have to take some of these responsibilities away. And I think the most interesting part, um. You know, the guys in the BSB podcast are talking about it this week. Um, and that, like, we don't really see John uh, John Baptiste a lot. Uh, not John Baptiste. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Kayvon Pope. We don't see Kayvon Pope a lot at linebacker. And but like the few plays he's been in, he's been good. And I think it's like almost like the reason he doesn't play a lot is because he doesn't listen to the coaching staff. But not listening to the coaching staff is what's making him play good because he's not he's not taking on all this extra instruction and and taking all these responsibilities. He's just playing and reading and reacting, and that's why he's able to play fast. He was the highest. He only played eight snaps, and he was Ohio State's like highest graded defender uh, according to PFF in that last game. So I just think they have to take some of the weight off these guys. And I think it doesn't really matter. You know, obviously they need to put the right personnel out there as well, but it doesn't really matter what personnel are out there. If they're being asked to, you know, think through four or five different things before they make the decision on what they're supposed to do, you just can't, It, it take it's taking too much time and it's making them slow on defense because they're slow to react. And by the time they do, it's the play is behind them. And you just, on top of that, when you're subbing as much as they are, It's impossible to gain any cohesion back there, and you just have 11 guys playing individually instead of as a unit. So I think the subbing needs to stop. They need to find their best 11 and play them on nearly every snap, except when guys need a breather. And they need to just simplify things and let these guys read and react, because I think they have, as we've talked about in the past, they have the personnel to get it done. They could be a good defense if they put their 11 best guys out there and just let them go. And I think that's what they need to do moving forward, and I'm hoping when Ryan Day says they need to make structural changes, that that's what he's alluding to. They need to simplify the defense and just let their four- and five-star athletes make plays.
1: Yeah, you said it. It's see ball, get ball, right? You need to have a fine blend. You can't, you can't be out there oblivious to what the other team is doing, but we don't see that or we haven't seen that yet. It's guys sticking and standing and waiting. So I couldn't agree more there. We're not letting our athletes be athletes is what it seems like. You, you said it as well. Too much thinking see ball get ball and and make smart decisions while still being aware of your assignment right being aware of what the other team is doing and the defensive line especially I rewatched a little bit of it probably not as much as you but the defensive line really stood out to me I was difficult on them or I was tough on them too just just due to the lack of pass rush and lack of pressure but it's sort of odd right that it seemed like there was a big emphasis put on containing Anthony Brown. And for the most part they did, Um, you know, he's not Mike Vick um, out there. So it's a little bit of a different game plan, but for the most part, they contained him pretty well. But then when the run game came around, you know, to CJ Burdell, especially they didn't contain the run. So I'm not real sure what the message was. It was like, Hey, on a pass play contain, but it seemed like on every sort of read option play, they attacked the mesh point. I saw Zach Harrison, especially beeline towards the center. Like there was something under his butt that he was going to pick up as a prize. So I'm like, which is it? Because it seemed like there were mixed messages on different plays, you know, contain on these ones, but then go after the mesh point on the other. So that one really sort of confused me just kind of that whole dynamic. But all in all, I, I'm with you. We need to let our athletes be athletes, put the best 11 of them out there and let them run to the ball. That's what these guys are are meant to do. We've got, I just think about the team speed, especially. We don't have tough Borland out there anymore. T Mitchell, uh, uh, gosh, Kayvon Pope, Cody Simon, those are fast linebackers. Those are guys who should be able to get to the ball if they're not worried about what else is going on around them as much as we sort of think that they are, that they're all in their heads right now, if they would just be freed up to play football and be linebackers, I, I do think that we would see some improvement from that unit and the defensive line just has to get the message together. You know, I don't know if that means Larry Johnson needs to be more emphatic on his end and kind of go to Kerry Coombs and say, look, I know what you're asking these guys to do, but we want Zach Harrison going after the quarterback. We want Tyreek Smith going after the quarterback, JTT, Jack Sawyer, whomever's in there. And then, uh, you know, even in the interior, Haskell Garrett has been kind of MIA and that's, that's not who Haskell Garrett is. He's great against the run, especially in Oregon kind of offset that a little bit by going to the perimeter as much as they did, but let guys attack And then you plan on the back end to sort of support them a little bit because you've got five guys back there to, uh, you know, they haven't played great passing offenses so far. They're doing well in their assignments, but they can be asked to do more, I think, or provide some more support to that run game. So it all comes down to the run game for me. The rest I'm not too worried about right now, which is odd considering what we were all sort of anticipating coming into the season.
0: Yeah, I think overall the defensive backs have played pretty well. Denzel Burks looked good. Cam Brown, despite playing through an obvious injury, looked pretty good in his first game. Uh, the Proctor injury is obviously concerning, and they're going to need to find a different player to play safety than the one they had out there. But I think it's just, I think a lot of the defensive line problems are are also just come down to scheme and too many assignments, kind of like you alluded to, where they're not, now it's the the plan of attack isn't always just go after the quarterback like they're trying to play too much container. or they're trying to worry too much about the run game and it's leading to less pressure in the backfield um they're out they're not getting any sacks they're not really creating any havoc in the backfield and it's just it there's too much talent on that defensive line for that to be the case you just got to let these guys go and do their thing um and in terms of like just individual assignment stuff like there's it's very clear that everyone's on a different page and on their own page because you've got You know, you've got linebackers running into each other. You've got guys kind of passing off receivers being like, oh, someone else will get that. And then no one else gets that. And that was kind of the same problem when the Oregon kept running that run play to the left, where like the linebacker would follow one of the the linebacker that was on that side would follow the movement because Ohio State's defense always bites on any pre-snap movement. And it would be like, oh, well, the other guy there will, will pick him up. And then nobody does. So everyone's kind of. Passing people off and thinking that someone else has it when everyone's just worried about their own assignment and nobody's adapting to what they're seeing or, or, or like communicating on defense and kind of playing as a unit how they have to. And so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of deep rooted problems on that defense. Hopefully they're able to fix some of it. I don't know if you could completely overhaul it mid season, but. I think there's some stuff that's definitely fixable if you just let these guys kind of play to their strengths and play to their athleticism. But, you know, that that's kind of our our defensive talk. We've talked a lot about that. Hopefully yeah, we'll, Gene, I we'll wanna, see it play out. Yeah, I, go ahead. I just want to like reemphasize
1: a point too. I I'm not a defensive coordinator, obviously. Um these guys on the staff of Ohio State have forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But the thing that I would like to see especially is you know what your presumed strength was going to be, and that's the defensive line. So if you're having problems all over, maybe the right simplification is remove one variable that you're struggling with. Let this defensive line attack, 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 and then teach these linebackers how to better support at the second level. Yes, you're going to give some things up. Yes, they may, uh, you know, fail to set the edge against certain opponents, but especially in these next three games, I don't think we should be overly concerned about a potential mobile quarterback and a read option or these outside runs. You're going to be faster and more athletic than Tulsa, Akron, whomever. So maybe it just starts up front where you let the dogs eat and you kind of figure out the rest. You can put emphasis on this secondary. They've proven that they – can play well through these first two games so maybe there's some increased pressure on them by doing so but that's the unit that I want to see let loose I want to see five to six guys up front going after the quarterback and going after the ball and creating some pressure in the backfield and then maybe you sort out the rest and really let those linebackers support as opposed to play assignment football, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and if you let these guys just go read and react, like you might let up some extra big plays than you than you don't want, but I think overall the defense will be better. And I think you could live with one or two big plays a game rather than just getting gashed for ten yards a pass and seven yards a run every time. I think that mm-hmm. I'd rather let up two big plays a game than just let these teams drive ninety nine yards down the field for a touchdown. So I think it's it's kind of a boomer bust situation, but I think the, the benefits far outweigh the negatives in terms of doing that. But as we kind of flip over to the offense, obviously the offense wasn't stellar. They only scored 28 points, which I think is less than I, you know, I thought they would score in any game this year. But I think there's a couple of issues that could pretty easily be solved. I think first of all, Ohio State has to get much more creative in the run game. I mean, we saw them, uh, we saw them shorten their running back rotation, which is good. It's what we wanted to see. We saw a lot more Travion Henderson and Maya Williams. They were the only two backs to to get the ball. But Ohio State pretty much exclusively ran inside zone in this game. And when you have a quarterback like CJ Stroud who isn't, you know, he he can run, but he seems like he doesn't really want to run early in the year and like kind of, you know, risk anything this this early in the season. The the linebackers don't have to bite on the quarterback. And so if they're not worried at all about the quarterback run, the inside zone is just not an effective play. And I don't think we saw really Ohio State attempt any outside runs. We didn't I think they ran literally the one run play the entire game, and it wasn't really working. And so having no threat of a quarterback run right now. I think it's the biggest problem in the run game. And while we saw it not work, it's kind of the same thing we saw when Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback, how Ohio State tried to run the inside zone and it didn't work because the linebackers could just all, all commit to the, the running back because they don't have to worry about the threat of the QB run. So I think we should see you know, should see a little bit more C.J. Stroud running if you're going to run that inside zone. And if not, then you got to get much more creative in the passing game. And then the second thing with the offense is that I don't think Ohio State needs to keep running these two tight end sets because they only have one good tight end. Jeremy Ruckert is the only real tight end on this roster. And so I just think it's it's like it's not worth it to keep running these two tight end sets because I don't think you're you're gaining anything from it. Like Cade Stover is a is a converted defensive end. You can't be throwing to him on third long. And you can't like have him into block on like a key spot and like expect him to get the job done. Because it's just it's a position he's still largely learning. And while he may be good in the future, he's clearly not ready now in like his first or second year learning the position. So I just think when you have the wide receiver talent that Ohio State has, I'd rather have four wide receivers on the field than two tight ends, especially because you have a guy like... um, Julian Fleming, who's probably their fourth wide receiver, who played in the wing tee in high school and is used to run blocking. Like, get that guy out there instead of Cade Stover if you want an extra guy to block on the field. I think he could get the job done. And if not, why don't you run... You can run a two-running back... Put mine Williams and Travion Henderson both on the field at the same time. Throw some confusion in there. Like, I, don't, I think you have way better players at other positions that you don't have to waste an extra spot on the field on a second tight end when you really only need Jeremy Ruckett out there and he's the only guy capable of playing the position. So I think, you know, that's... You know, Ohio State doesn't have like really deep issues on offense. I think, you know, CJ Stroud, upon watching him again, I thought played really well. Obviously he had the misses and he had the pick and some other stuff, but overall he made some really nice throws and I thought he played a pretty good game. Um, but I think those those are more that's a bigger problem than anything else on offense. I don't think CJ Stroud is the issue. He obviously threw the ball fifty times, which is not what Ohio State wanted, and he was trying to really put that offense on his back without any decent running game going on behind him. So I just think that those two things could be cleaned up and I think those I know Ryan Day is really committed to that two tight end look, but there's just there's with the way that this team is constructed, there's no need for it. And I'd rather have either a fourth wide receiver or both running backs in the backfield if you're gonna try to do that kind of stuff. So those are my my big takeaways from the offense and how things could be improved there. I don't think that's nearly as hard as the defensive issues. I think it's very easy to clean up some of that other stuff, but that's kind of the reason why I think Ohio State's offense struggled against Oregon at points.
1: Yeah, and I think I could sort of wrap up your entire argument kind of together, the way I look at it is you're right. CJ Stroud seems hesitant to run. And so you have to get that figured out. Are you going to ask him to run or are you going to ask him to be more of a Dwayne Haskins quarterback? And I think these next couple of weeks will afford Ohio state, the opportunity to refine their running game. Um, They should essentially be able to run all over their next couple of opponents and the guys up front should be able to eat. I mean, the, the big guys, DeJuan Jones, uh, Petit Friere, Mumford, all those guys, they should be able to blow these next couple of opponents off the line. So figure out what you want to do and rep it these next couple of games. F- settle on, are we going to be a read option team or are we going to go away from it a little bit? You can just let those guys dominate up front and you know, let them open holes for the running backs, which is what they want to do. And they're plenty capable of doing. So I think they'll figure that out. This again, does give them a good opportunity to do so for the next couple of weeks. And when you involve the tight ends, again, do you want to involve them as blockers or do you want them to be pass catchers and receivers? Obviously Ryan Day has a preference there and You know, we're not ones to question his preference or his game plan. But when you look at the tight end specifically, I'm sort of with you. We've got guys who are pass catchers, uh, especially if they were to throw G. Scott into the rotation at all. And Stover, like you said, he's learning the position. I look at a team like uh, I watched last night, the Raiders play in the Monday night football game. If you watch the Raiders, they've got Darren Waller and Moreau. And yes, they'll run two tight ends. Uh, John Gruden loves to run that, but they are more than willing to put one or both of those guys outside. And you know, what's coming and it's fine because Gruden looks at it like, Hey, you know, we're going to pass or we have to trust our line on that. We've got tight ends, at least one in Jeremy Ruckert, who is more of a Darren Waller or Moreau for the Raiders. Yes, he's a good blocker, but I'm with you. We're not the power run team that necessitates having two in at all times, or maybe run one in one out to where you're going to run to one side with a Stover, if that's what he's good at. And Rucker is either more of a pass catching threat or a decoy, but it all comes down to experimentation. They'll be able to do that these next couple of games and figure out what works best for them. So I'm with you on the offense, no concerns there. I expect to see 40 points plus this weekend and any Any uh any areas that they were struggling in, they should have an opportunity to right the ship and really do whatever they want. Or you know we would hopefully assume.
0: Yeah, and now that we've talked about you know what we kind of want to see from Ohio State moving forward, I guess we should talk about a little bit uh, the team that they're going to try to do some of that against this week. Uh, We don't have to spend a ton of time on them, but the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes are coming to town. They are zero and two to start the year. They lost. 19-17 19 to 17 to UC Davis and FCS program to start the year, which is certainly not what you want. Um, but they did, you know, last year they come off a year where they made a surprise run to the AAC title game. They went six and three. Uh, they lost their star player on defense was Zayvon Collins. Uh, they lost him, so their defense is kind of expected to take a step back. Uh, but their offense is expected to step up, and to this point, it it hasn't. Uh, their quarterback Davis Brin, who a lot of people were high on coming into the year, has not thrown a touchdown pass through two games, which is certainly concerning. Uh, he's got 425 yards and two interceptions through the first team's first two games. Uh, their running back, Daneric Prince, is pretty good. He's a Texas A&M transfer. Uh, he's had 30 carries for 213 yards, averaging over 7 yards per carry with two tutties. Uh, they also have Shamari Brooks, who's coming off a torn ACL uh, from last year, but they were pretty high on him as well. Uh, their top wide receiver is fifth-year senior Kalen Stokes. He's got six catches for 114 yards. Uh, the offensive line also returns all five stars from last year. Uh, this is a team that isn't very explosive, and if Ohio State struggles against this offense on defense, and we've got really, 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 really big issues, even though we, you know, we already think they're pretty big, but this would be certainly concerning to, for me to watch if Ohio State's letting up, you know, twenty plus to these guys. Um, and then on defense, uh, the star over here is probably a Jackson, player, uh, defensive lineman. Yeah. He's got he had three sacks last year and two blocked kicks. He kind of one of those do it all defensive linemen. He moves around. Uh, he's got a team high two and a half tackles for loss to start the year. Uh, they lost their top two corners from last year. Both of them transferred to Missouri, which is interesting. Uh, but their safety, Kandarin Ray, uh, is one of their top players in the secondary. He's got a team-high 17 tackles through two games. And he's he's one of the top safeties in program history for them. And then they also have their cornerback, uh, Christian Williams, who is a seventh-year senior at, at Nickel Corner. So that's they've got a lot of experience on both sides of the ball. They're a veteran group. They've got 12 seniors overall taking that extra year of eligibility with the COVID stuff. 30 players on the roster have started at least one game in their career. But they're kind of just middle of the road in, in both. They're 71st in total defense, and they're 70, 68th in total offense. So they're kind of a middle-of-the-road team. They haven't looked good to start the year. They've had, they have had that really bad loss to UC Davis. And it's a team that, like you kind of alluded to, Ohio State should be able to eat against on both sides of the trenches. And overall, like this is, this is a get-right game for Ohio State. They should be coming into this, playing pretty angry off their loss to Oregon. We're hoping to see some of those defensive changes that have been alluded to, both by Ryan Day and everyone else with eyes. Uh, and hopefully the offense kind of, you know, this will be a game where CJ Stroud could hopefully kind of settle in. And between Tulsa and Akron, it's it's, it's kind of some, it's it's basically playing a practice squad these next two weeks. So I'm hoping we see Ohio State kind of take the next step. I don't think we're going to learn a ton, even if Ohio State wins this game like 66 to nothing. But it is a game that is going to be on and Ohio State will be playing in it. So that's really all I could say about this one.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll I'll hit on their defense first. Uh, You said it's also like ranked around 70 in total defense. They are like 18th in the country in tackles for loss, but outside, it it seems sort of fluky because outside of that, none of their metrics are all that impressive, especially when you look at the teams that they've played. Uh, UC Davis, that's just, that's an embarrassing loss as far as I'm concerned. And then they gave up 21 points in the fourth quarter. They were actually leading, Oklahoma state for most of that game and then coughed it up in the fourth quarter. They play like a three, three, five defense. So not entirely similar, but they do run the five and they've got the star position and then like a nickel back on, on the field most of the time. So somewhat similar to what Ohio state's doing uh, you know, they have three down linemen on most plays and you hit on Jackson player. He's arguably their best defender And, you know, he's like six foot, 6'1, 290. I think he's an undersized guy. So if he's one of your better players out there on defense, I think that Ohio State should be able to physically dominate up front. And I have no concerns whatsoever about passing on this defense. Um, We've been able to pass the ball against Minnesota and Oregon far better defenses, I think, than, than Tulsa. I don't think that's very arguable. So I think Ohio State's going to do well there. I am um, intrigued, though, by Tulsa on offense, just in the sense that they they do like to run the ball. They've got the dual backs, Deneric Prince, and then I actually wrote about Shamari Brooks um, for this week's offensive player to watch. He has essentially 2,000-yard seasons under his belt. He was around 970 a couple seasons ago, but I'm calling that a thousand yards. And he was on a couple preseason award watch lists prior to 2020 when he tore his ACL. So he's sort of rounding into form. I think that he will be much more of a factor as the season goes on, but they use both him and Prince. Shamari Brooks is a little bit undersized. He's like 5'9, 190. Uh, Prince is a little bit bigger, 6'1, 210, 215. I think they will try to run the ball. But I don't see a whole lot of success. You know, their yards per carry they were right around two, two and a half against Oklahoma State. They struggled immensely. Now you can flip it to the first game, and uh, Prince and Brooks averaged like eight, nine, ten yards a carry each. But that's UC Davis. That really doesn't count in my book. So they they went up against Oklahoma State and averaged two, two and a half yards, like I said. So if our run defense is going to Get right, this is a, a heck of a start. It's a team that likes to run the ball, but was not incredibly efficient against Oklahoma State. So we have to be able to hold this team under, you know, 150 yards rushing, if not more, or if not less, I think would be an impressive start to sort of turning our season around on defense. And Davis Brin, their quarterback, he throws for, you know, two and a quarter per game. You said it, no touchdowns, two picks. This, I, I think that Tulsa's offense is even worse than it looks on paper. Their numbers were boosted immensely by the run game against UC Davis. You, you take that and you kind of extrapolate it out. And maybe it's, call it an average game against anybody else. They were far below average against Oklahoma State. So, I think that Ohio State needs to dominate this game. I don't know how much there is how much more there is to talk about because I think that Ohio State needs to win this by 30 points or more. If they don't then you know, a couple late touchdowns to to cover some sort of spread or something like that, okay, I could live with that. But if we reach halftime and they're up 14 points or we head into the fourth quarter and they're up 14 to 21 points then I'm not going to lose faith in this team by any means. It's still very, very early, but they need to come out and um, you know, impose their will on a far lesser opponent. It should be sort of a reprieve, a breather from what they faced during the first two weeks. I want to see them come out and play well, and I think that they will. I think that Ryan Day and his staff, but especially Ryan Day, is fuming. I hope that he coaches angry. I hope that he coaches aggressive. And, you know, heck, if we come out and put up 63 points, so be it. I, I'm not concerned about the feelings of our opponent. I want to see us come out and play aggressive, play fast and put up some points and hold the other team to far less.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we kind of we that's kind of what happened in that 2014 season where Ohio State lost Virginia Tech and then they played, you know, like a Kent State and won 66 to nothing. That's kind of. The way Ohio State has to play the rest of the year, especially when they play these lesser opponents, because if they want to, if they want to make the College Football Playoff, they're going to have to look really impressive moving forward and show that there's been improvements both on offense and on defense. And so you have to beat up on these lesser teams. And kind of like you said, we don't have to spend a ton of time on Tulsa because there isn't really a ton here. They're back. They're, they're running back. Their backfield is is pretty solid. So it will be nice to see if Ohio State's linebackers could get something going, especially the defensive line as well, and kind of stopping the run. Show that they've you know made minor improvements. I don't think holding Tulsa like under 150 rushing yards is going to be like oh okay, Ohio State's defense is fixed. But it will be at least a step in the right direction against a team that does like to run the ball and can do it okay. Uh, I, I'm not really worried about their quarterback at all. He's not mobile. He doesn't. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass yet. So I'm not really worried about the passing defense. Hopefully. We get seven banks out there. We'll see who starts at safety with Josh Proctor out. It's going to be a little interesting personnel-wise back there. Maybe we see some of Court Williams, who I don't know how healthy he is, but I'd like to see him on the field a little bit. Maybe a little Craig Young, too. Just some guys that we've heard a lot about but haven't gotten to see yet. And I think, you know... A lot of this game, it's not as much as what Tulsa is as what Ohio State is. It's more, you know, Ohio State has to get right. They have to, you know, they have to do things well. They have to show. We're not going to learn a ton if they play well, but we they have to at least show that they're, you know, they're working on stuff. I'd like to see, you know, I, I want to see a, a physical difference with this defense, whether it be personnel or the way they play or the scheme, whatever it is. I want to be able to see a tangible difference on this defense. I don't just want to see them running the same defense they ran against Oregon and it's working just because they're playing a lesser opponent. I want to see something that, that shows me, okay, they're working on something different they're trying to fix this they're actively doing something to make things better and not just running out the same thing they've done the past two weeks and pretty much all of last year in uh and in, in, like that's their solution to this defense this'll these next couple games are gonna are they gonna show us whether this is more of a 2018 Ohio State or a 2014 Ohio State because if they come out here and you know they win you know 48 to, to 28 whatever that's not That that's not very reassuring. I don't think that's very positive. You know, Ohio State's minus twenty six and a half in this game spread wise. If they don't cover that, I think that's, you know, there's some things to look at here. But, you know, the twenty fourteen team, we saw lose to Virginia Tech and then played very well on both sides of the ball the whole rest of the way. And you know, that was obviously a much better defensive team. And so if we see you know, I it's gonna. I, I think these kinds of games will show us whether this is more of a 2014 or a 2018 situation. Because if this if this defense can't get right against Tulsa and Akron, then I, they're just this defense isn't gonna cut it, and it isn't a playoff caliber team. Ohio State could probably win out and win the Big Ten with a just average defense, but I don't. You know, they're gonna get into the playoffs and and get blown out by anybody they play if that's all they're trying out there. And we saw that happen last year against Alabama. So I need to see some tangible results here. And I'd like to see Ohio State win big. And, you know, I want to feel good coming out of this game, as, as good as you can feel coming off a win against Tulsa. But I, I want to just feel like, you know, these games are sometimes tough to watch because it's like, okay, I like we're going to win, but like I don't, I don't, I don't feel good because in the back of my mind, I'm worried about what this team is going to do against real teams. But if they come out here and really dominate, I think that's at least a step in the right direction, get some of these guys some confidence on both sides of the ball. You know, CJ Stroud and the linebackers, it would be nice for them to come off this game feeling really good about their performance. And I think that'll pay dividends for the rest of the season moving forward. So I think that's really the goal here, as much as obviously you have to win the football game. But the goal here is really to get these guys feeling good and to show that you've taken strides in the right direction on both sides of the ball and especially on defense.
1: Yeah, Gene, I kind of want to pick your brain on this um, kind of a two-part question. And you can go obvious if you want. I kind of know where the direction I'm heading, but what unit do you want to see the most out of or like what specific unit do you need to see a lot of improvement from or just something different from? It doesn't even have to be great improvement. It can be something different. And then, you know, same thing for player. What's an individual player? Who's an individual player that you'd like to see? Break out or get a bunch of touches or anything like that. So I'm going to hit you with A and B. But where are you at for this Tulsa game as far as a unit and a player that you're really watching for on Ohio State's team?
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as a unit, I'd obviously like us to see kind of what we we discussed earlier, where the linebackers are playing more read and react instead of you know playing all these different assignments and waiting and and, and just being in the wrong spots all the time because they're thinking. I want to see less thinking and more doing on the field, especially from the linebackers, but. As far as units go, I wanna see I wanna see more from the defensive line. I need to see a couple sacks in this game against a team that they should be able to dominate up front, against a quarterback that isn't very mobile. You have to be able to pile up, you know, two, three, four sacks in this game at least, just for me to feel like this defense is this defensive line is better than We've seen, you know, we came into the season expecting this unit to be like a top five unit in all of college football with all the talent they have on it. And to this point, they haven't really done anything outside of that Zach Harrison strip sack against Minnesota. So I really want to see this defensive line eat. I want to see them stop the run. I want to see them get in the backfield, pressure the quarterback, get some sacks. And I'm really looking for that. As far as player goes, um, I'd like to see more of both freshman defensive ends. I think JT Twimaloa has played pretty well in limited snaps. And we haven't really seen any of Jack Sawyer yet, which is weird because he was the more... You know, highly talked about guy this, this preseason camp because he's been here longer. But, you know, I want to see more of those guys. But as far as guys that have been playing consistently that I want to see kind of step up, I think the obvious answer here is Zach Harrison. You know, we've heard kind of the—he's been compared to Chase Young pretty much his whole career as kind of that next big Ohio State defensive end. And to this point, we just haven't seen it. So I'd like to see, you know, him come out here and have, you know, a, a two-sack game or something, make, make make a big play in the run game, force a fumble or something. So I want to see— More from Zach Harrison and pretty much all the defensive linemen. I think Haskell Garrett, upon rewatch, actually did play pretty good against Oregon. It's just that he had really no help around him. Uh, But, you know, between Zach Harrison, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith, I need those guys to step up, and I need to see. I'd like to see more of the freshmen if possible. And, you know, especially in a game like this. Late in the game, if Ohio State's up big, we're we're going to hopefully see some backups. I'd like to see some of the freshman wide receivers. I'd like to see, you know, one of the other quarterbacks, whether it be Kyle McCord or Quinney, where's just kind of get some reps. This would be a good game to do some of that stuff. And then, you know, a lot of the guys in the secondary, so you know, maybe a Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, some of the freshmen. I'd like to see some of them get some reps. So this would be a nice game. Hopefully, Ohio State could win big. Hopefully, they're up big late third, fourth quarter so they could get some of these guys some reps. And Ohio State could kind of learn what they've got out there. Because at this point, you know, I don't know if they know what they have in some of these guys. So maybe they find a guy that, that breaks through and, and becomes a, an important part of this team moving forward. So there's a lot to look forward to as much as this isn't going to be a super exciting game for Ohio State fans to watch. I think it's there's a lot that we can learn from it if certain things happen. And so I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see some youth out there and I'd like to see some of these guys that we're expecting to step up finally, maybe make that next step and step up.
1: Yeah, so for mine, I, I'm with you on the defensive line. I want to see those guys be aggressive. I want to see them create pressure And, uh, you know, I will be disappointed with anything less than three or four sacks. I don't even care if Tulsa goes with a game plan where they're trying to get their the ball out of their hands through the passing game very quickly. I want to see this defensive line play great. I don't want to see them play well. I want to see them play great because we know the potential is there. So you hit on all the guys. I'm I'm fully in step with you on that. The defensive line is the unit that I'd like to see because. The linebackers, whether we love it or not, I think it's going to be a work in progress. And as far as players, I really want to see Jeremy Ruckert be utilized in the passing game. We know he's a great tight end. We know that he can block. We know that he can catch the ball. He's a a dual threat or kind of combo tight end. But I had big expectations for him coming into the season. And I know it's not always the Ohio State way, but I want to see him be involved in the pass game heavily. I'd like to see, you know, anything less than six, seven, eight targets, again, would be a disappointment for me. He's going to be, uh, you know, a physical, he's going to be a nightmare for whoever, you know, tries to guard him. I would imagine he's going to be bigger than any of these Tulsa um, defensive backs and, and hopefully quicker and more athletic than their linebackers. So Jeremy Rucker, a player and also Travion Henderson. We've seen the potential. Um, I have nothing bad to say about Travion Henderson. He is not disappointed in any way, but I'd like to see him used in the running game and maybe break some big runs. I, I don't want to see less of Mayan Williams per se. I just want to see if we're going to have Travion Henderson as the featured back, which it seems like he became in the second half of a very important game, one that they were losing. That's who they leaned on the most. If he's going to be your one or your one A, I want to see him out there. and I want to see what he can really do as a runner. We saw his hands um, against Minnesota. We saw his speed. And we saw some of his athleticism uh, in both games, really. But I want to see him use as a featured back, if that's your plan going forward. I'm excited about his potential. And like I said, I don't want to see less of Mayan Williams per se. I think they can really be a good combo. But I haven't seen enough of Travion Henderson yet, just selfishly. Um, I want to see him out there and you know break some of those big chunk runs that we know that he is plenty capable of.
0: Yeah, in terms of Rucker, you know, I obviously love Rucker, Long Island dude, shout out. But I just think with the, the Ohio State's wide receivers, especially after seeing, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba really break out against Oregon, I just think, you know, between Olave Wilson and Smith and Jigba, this, this receiver mm-hmm. core is so dynamic and awesome. And just, I just, I, I hate taking away, you know, reps from Jeremy Rucker, but I just think these wide receivers are too good to not... Throw two pretty much every time. I'd love to see, you know, Jeremy Rucker be a great red zone target. Obviously, he's big, he's athletic, he's got great hands. So, you know, if Ohio State's driving near the red zone, I'd like to see him get more involved. I think he could have been utilized on some of those fourth downs against Oregon much better. So, I'd like to, like you said, I don't know about, I don't know if seven, eight targets is realistic, but at least three or four in the game just to keep him involved and maybe get him a tutty one of these times because I think he's blocked really well and he deserves to kind of get some catches as well.
1: I think I'm super selfish because I've got Darren Waller on my fantasy team. And look, I know that Jeremy Rucker is not Darren Waller. But Darren Waller had like 47 targets last night in the first quarter alone. I think he had eight. I was watching the game kind of following my fantasy team Um, and and like Derek Carr just zeroes in on him. And I know Ohio State's not going to do that. Ohio State's top probably four or five wide receivers could probably go in and be a one for the Raiders. So it's not apples to apples here. But, you know, I watched that last night. I was like, man, I know Jeremy Ruckert is capable of so much more, but I'm with you. It's probably not going to come to fruition because that's just that's not Ohio State. And when you've got six deep uh, wide receivers that you can choose from, then, yeah, I, I get it. It's just, again, one of those selfish things where I'd like to see. I'd like to see it opened up and I'd like to see what he could be at another level but his time will come.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to be a great NFL prospect and you know I think if if the I love Darren Waller but I think if the Raiders had Chris Olave, I think they throw to him a little bit more too. So I think it's a a little bit of a, a little bit of interesting. I think, I mean, Chris Olave is just an absolutely unbelievable receiver. And we see it every week, you know, even like his kind of nonchalant catches. Like he had that sideline catch where he dragged the toes and just like little things like that. Like he's just so good at everything. And he is, in my mind, I mean, he's the clear number one receiver off the board in the next NFL draft. He just does everything so tremendously well. And he's such a great athlete. He's just everything about him. He's just a perfect wide receiver almost.
1: He's such a technician, you know, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest. Maybe he doesn't even have the best hands, but he is unequivocally without a doubt an NFL wide receiver and probably a very productive one because yeah, like there's nothing that he does poorly, even as a run blocker down the field, he'll lend his support. But I just go back to like his footwork and his route running. Now, Ryan Day is, is very good at scheming his guys open too, but Yeah, just a technician is the word that keeps coming to mind for Chris Olave. He is so smooth out there that uh, I don't think he's quite as athletic, but he's like a DeAndre Hopkins or a Devontae Adams to me. Like those guys, they can just roll out of bed and get open against any sort of coverage. Granted, it's at a higher level, but that's how I see Olave. Like you could put him out there. I think, tomorrow against Derek Stinley Jr. or whoever you want to say is the best corner in college football right now. And I don't think that C- or uh, Chris Olave would be held down for long. He's just that good right now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, Chris Olave should be catching passes on Sundays, like, right now. Like, he easily could have went into the draft last year. It was a, it was a pretty mm-hmm. deep wide receiver draft, but he probably would have been late first round, early second round pick. And so that's a guy that is basically an NFL receiver playing in college. I think he's open on pretty much every single play. But yeah, we we, like... We don't praise him enough because he's, like, kind of expected to do it at this point. But shout-out to Chris Olave for just being awesome at everything he does. And then just going back to Trayvon Henderson, you know, I think this kid is very clearly special. We've heard about how special he was as a recruit. And we've kind of seen flashes already just through two games. You know, there was that—he obviously had the big screen pass against Minnesota. But then there was that, that play against Oregon where he—they gave him the ball, and it should have been a one-yard loss. And he broke a tackle, made some guys missed, and made it into a 10-yard gain. And just things like that make him very, you know— Zeke like in a way, and like that that kind of running back for Ohio State that could just kind of take over a game if you let him. So I do agree with you. You know, I love Mayan Williams, but I think Trayvon Henderson is just a special, special talent, and I need to see him kind of. I I just need I want to see more of Trayvon Henderson. I want to see what he could do, especially against you know a team like this. I think there's big potential for a big Trayvon Henderson day. But you know, what do you I have to see kinda... from
1: C.J. Stroud? If anything, you know, he's put up big stats, but he's still had his detractors. Um, you know, whether he's floated some longer passes or you know his running or lack thereof. Uh, what if anything, do you need to see from Cj Stroud or are you just you are you content with him and and you think he's on the right track?
0: Yeah, i mean, I certainly think he's on the right track for a guy that started two college football games ever. And um, I, I just think I want to see him start out a game a little better. Like he's obviously started yeah. these first two halves a little shaky. So I'd like to see him, you know, play a full. I don't know if he needs to play the full game in this one. Hopefully he doesn't. That would be a good sign if he's not in there in the third or fourth quarter for, you know, for the fact that Ohio State's up so much. But I, I just want to see him kind of start out a game looking a little more confident. I think almost Ohio State tries to play it two too like easy with him, and I think they try to get him these early throws that are kind of shorter in the game, and I don't know if he really needs it. CJ Stroud seems like a guy that really likes throwing deep, and while the deep ball hasn't really been there, I think you just kind of got to cut him loose and let him rock. Like, like I said, like, Chris Olave is open on pretty much every play. Same with Garrett Wilson. Just let these guys get open and let CJ hit his guys. Like Let these guys make plays kind of the same thing that goes along with the defense like don't make him don't make him throw these short 5-yard outs. He's not really getting anything from that. And I think he's kind of he's overthrowing it cuz he just wants to throw it deep. So obviously, you know, he he's got the arm talent. He's got a, the arm strength. The deep ball isn't quite there yet. We've seen some misses going deep, but I just think, you know, as the season goes on, he'll he'll get better and better at those and kind of hone it in. So I'd like to see him play a more a full game from the start, you know, have him start off a little hotter, but I am overall content with CJ Stroud. I, you know, going back and watching that game again, he had a few misses, but it wasn't anything crazy. I think he's making a lot of the right decisions, which is super important for a quarterback. You know, other than the pick, I think he's, he's thrown to the right guy on most plays. There were some misses early in that Minnesota game, but I thought he was a lot better at not missing the open man against Oregon. So, uh, you know, there's obviously been—there's some improvement already there. And like I said, like, this guy's played—he played one Big Ten road game, and then he played against uh, one of the top defenses in the nation, Oregon. And they're obviously missing some of their guys there, but they still have a pretty good secondary, so— I thought it's a, a you know a good first two games for CJ. He'll keep getting better, and I'm not you know I'm not one of these people jumping off the ship and asking for Colin McCord, Quinn Ewers. Although I'm sure if we see one of those guys in the fourth quarter and they look good against you know Tulsa, I'm sure there's gonna be people calling for CJ Stroud's job when that's patently ridiculous, but. You know, it's coming if one of those guys come in, you know, they throw, they go like five or five, throw a touchdown pass, you know, that kind of thing's coming. So I just hope that, you know, he could kind of get comfortable, get these games and really get into a rhythm. I need to see him start out a game and not like, you know, not, not be shaky for the first two drives and kind of really take control early.
1: Yeah, I think those are good points. I, I'm team Stroud right now. I think he's off to a great start. Yeah. He wants a couple throws back, but uh, Ryan Day and, and his staff are going to put him in the right position to just be a point guard and be a facilitator with those weapons. I think that's all that he really needs to be. So I know I sidetracked you on that one a little bit, Gene, but I know before we kind of wrap it up, you want to hit on some of the other games this weekend, you know, are, are there any or a couple that are jumping out to you? And what are you looking forward to on the non-Ohio State slate this weekend?
0: Yeah, you know, kind of like I alluded to, these games for Ohio State aren't super fun to watch when they're blowouts against a bad team. So Ohio State's actually the second, mo- uh, the, uh, second team in Ohio that I'm most looking forward to watching. The first one is Cincinnati. We'll be going on the road to play Indiana. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites. You know, Luke Fickle's obviously done a tremendous job at Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati wins this game. Indiana hasn't looked great, and I think even if Indiana was good, I think Cincinnati's just a better team. They have one of the top defenses in all of college football. Desmond Ritter's playing very well. Jerome Ford, their running back, is pretty good as well. So I'm really high on Cincinnati. I'm looking forward to that game. That's at noon, so you can kind of get that in before you get to watch the Ohio State game. Um, I also like Coastal Carolina. Uh, I really like watching their offense. They're a lot of fun. They got still got the mullets going on. They run like this. I mean, if if I would be very concerned watching Coastal Carolina play Ohio State, and I tweeted as much watching Coastal l- last week because the the way they run their offense with this like this option run game is absolutely nuts, and they're a lot of fun to watch. So they take on Buffalo. I'm they win that game by a lot. So that's on at noon as well. Uh Purdue at Notre Dame is is weird because Notre Dame's only a seven point favorite, and I don't think Purdue is very good, so I don't I don't think that's really one worth watching. But you know, one of the bigger games of the day is Alabama Florida. Uh, Alabama's fifteen and a half point favorites. They're going to Florida, so that's obviously big for SEC standings wise. Uh, and then that's really, you know, other than that, there's the Auburn Penn State game, which should be pretty fun at seven 30. That's going to be Penn State's whiteout game, a little sec versus big 10 action. Uh, I like Penn State in that game. I think they're a better team than Auburn. I think Penn State's looked pretty good overall outside of, you know, not having a real quarterback to run their offense. I think their defenses looked good. And they're overall decent. But that's those are some of the games that really stand out to me and that I'll be watching this weekend in, in between the Ohio State game and, and maybe during it if it gets out of hand.
1: Yeah, hopefully it does get out of hand and we can kind of grab the remote and turn the channel a little bit, flip around. Uh, one that you didn't mention, because I'm pretty much with you on those. I'm going to be kind of as keyed in as I can. I, I'm intrigued by Purdue because we're going to have to deal with them um, later on. So I, I kind of want to see what they or potentially deal with them later on. I want to see what they're going to do against Purdue who or against Notre Dame. Sorry. Who uh, has just not looked good to me. I'm not overly impressed with Jack Cohn and that's kind of goes without saying we, we saw what he was all about when he was at Wisconsin, but another big 10 team, Michigan state plays Miami. And I don't think this is a marquee game by any means. I don't ultimately think that Michigan state is going to be a great team, but I kind of sort of think that Miami is trash and Michigan State has come out pretty well. We know they can run the ball with Kenneth Walker III. So I'm kind of looking at that Michigan State game. I don't know how fun
0: it's going to be to watch. I mean, Vegas Vegas also kind of thinks that Miami's trash because Miami is only six and a half point favorites at home. And Michigan State's a team that we pegged early on to be one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And they're, they have gotten off to a 2-0 start. But for a team in Miami that was expected to be competitive with Alabama and is now only less than a touchdown favorite at home against Michigan State, that is definitely concerning for that program.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Miami came in with a lot of hype. I think that their quarterback signed like $10 million in NIL deals coming off of an injury and he just hasn't looked great so I expect Michigan State to at least be competitive if not pull off an upset you know we don't have legalized sports gambling in Ohio so I don't have to lose any of my money on it and then uh you know just for because I don't like them I'll I'll probably check out the Clemson game they played Georgia Tech this weekend and the thing about Georgia Tech is you know they're an unranked team they're one and one right now but They've discovered the forward pass. You and I talked about this a little bit before the pod. They used to run the triple option and do all that kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, I I don't know if they're capable of an upset. You know, they're a 29 point dog, but I am vehemently against anything Clemson. I cannot stand Dabo Swinney. And, you know, with the new discovery of the forward pass, I, I wonder if Georgia Tech can pull off an upset. They probably can't, but. Something I'll check out as well.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a better slate than we had last weekend, you know, outside of the Ohio State Oregon game and the Iowa Iowa State game, which even the even the Iowa Iowa State game wasn't that entertaining to watch. Iowa really had control for most of that game. There wasn't a ton of of like fun to watch games last week. So hopefully it's a little better of a slate this week. We got some more ranked matchups, we got some more, you know, marquee teams going against each other. So it should be fun. You know, college football Saturdays are always a good time, no matter who's playing. And Ohio
1: State does play Purdue. I sort of hedged my bets just a second ago. I said potentially or they will. And I just I had to double check. So yeah, they play Purdue on November 13th.
0: Yes, we play Purdue at home this year in a rematch from Ohio State's you know game in 2018 that obviously went south. And you know, with the with the issues that this Ohio State team is having, it'll be interesting to see if they have fixed any of those heading into that Purdue game because I'm sure they'll look to attack them the same way they did in 2018 if those issues persist. But we will get there when we get there. One game at a time. Time. So Josh and I will be back with you this weekend after the Tulsa game breaking down what we saw. Uh hopefully it's W this time. I guess Josh before we get out of here, I guess we could do score predictions. I don't really have a firm handle on what I'm gonna see out there. Ohio State's a big wild card to me at this point. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something like a like a fifty-two to ten Or a fifty-two to seventeen. I think it could be like, you know, one of those things where Tulsa maybe scores a a late touchdown against the backups, but you know, I'm hoping that this defense doesn't let up over twenty points. That would be not great against a team like Tulsa, but I'm I'm looking at like a fifty two to ten. I'm hoping that, you know, the offense, the starting offense looks good. We get to see some of the backups, and it's a game that we don't have to sweat at all and it's they're up big at half and they could kind of coast the rest of the way.
1: The only problem I have with your prediction is the fact that fifty two probably involves a field goal. Um, which I don't want to see. Gotta, you got to get time.
0: Noah Ruggles some work. You got to get him out there.
1: Yeah. But uh, no, I was, uh, I had a very similar prediction in mind. Mine was fifty 17. Uh, I'd like to see Ohio State cover and then some put up a lot of points, get some young guys in. So, you know, great co host, think alike. I was within a couple of points of your prediction. I'm gonna go with 56, 17.
0: All right, I like it. So we will be back hopefully after a, a blowout win for Ohio State this weekend. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at HolyLandPod. Well, I didn't ask for hot takes last week because, like I said, you know it was basically all the same sentiment. But we'll be coming at you this week. with hopefully, I don't know how much hot takes you could have if Ohio State blows out Tulsa, but I'm sure we'll be able to find something. Somebody will be asking for you know like uh, Jack Miller to start a quarterback or something. I'm sure someone someone will have some crazy take after the game. So be sure to hit us up on there. Uh, follow us on Land Grand Holy Land. We'll have some good content coming up for you. Over the course of this week I know people have really been uh, interested in my Fire Carry Combs piece at half so that was you, that was kind of a yeah that was I a, do kind not of a joking think piece that
1: you're going to be invited to the Coombs family Christmas and, and same goes with with Bryce and Shaw if for whatever reason those families are close and they spend the holidays together um, I don't know what the opposite of an invite is, but I think that's coming your
0: way. Yeah, I, I feel a little bit bad about picking on Bryson Shaw. I don't feel as bad as picking on Kerry Combs because this man makes millions of dollars to coach a defense and doesn't know how to do it. And while that may be not his fault because he was hired to do a job that he doesn't know how to do, I'm just, you know, I, I have no sympathy for... I, obviously, I, you know, I think he's a good person. I think he's a good guy. I don't I don't wish any ill will on him, but he's clearly in over his head, and I, I don't, you know, I think people have more or less enjoyed my piece on it. I'm, I'm happy to see that some of the responses out there are mostly positive, so... Shout out to you guys for reading the site. Be sure to keep doing that. We'll have much more content coming up for you, leading up to this game. And uh, yeah, so follow us on follow us on Twitter, like us on wherever you get your podcast, subscribe, do all that good stuff, downloads, all that great podcast stuff. And we will be back with you next weekend. So for Josh Dooley, I'm Gene Ross, and uh, as always, go Bucks.